This is the Roar and Peace Project coming to you from Studio 3 at the Third Space on Campus Corner. I'm Kate Bierman, mom to Ellie, 22 months, and five rescue animals, political scientist, policy wonk, and co-owner of four businesses with my fellow co-host, Sarita Wilson. And I am Sarita Wilson. I am almost 50 years old, uh, birther of four businesses, mother of two grown children, five rescue animals, and one errant husband. Okay, well today I think we're going to talk about competition. Every business in some way faces competition. They face either um, a better product or a different product coming on or service that infringes on what they already had or maybe they enter the market and they feel like they can do it better than what's available. So competition is a real when you're in business. And we um, face it from both sides because we were the first entry into the market with our doggy daycare business. And we were a later entry into the market with our coffee businesses. So we have an interesting perspective because we've tackled this on both ends. So when I started Annie's, I tried to get information from local folks like vet clinics that offered kind of some boarding options. Um, I knew I wanted to do it different. and But everybody in the industry that was local was very guarded with their information. And if you went beyond the local folks, and it was almost like an underground offering of pet care services. But if you went to the state level, nobody knew what I was talking about. So what I ended up doing is going out of the market entirely. So we're in Norman, Oklahoma. I went to Dallas. Pretty much I visited all kinds of different doggy daycares in other markets. And central Oklahoma in general tends to be behind other markets, so it's kind of easy to do some research that way. So um, I was able to, to get some ideas going that way, but I also visited some places that I knew I didn't want to do it like. I didn't want to be similar to them because they weren't doing it the way I wanted to. But the guarded nature I thought was really strange to me. It's not in my nature to be guarded. I'm kind of an open book about everything I do. Although I will say, I think if someone came to you and said, Hey, local doggy daycare owner, I want to open a doggy daycare a mile from you. Tell me everything about how you do it and where you get your stuff and how you find your clients. I feel like you'd probably be like, um, no. um yeah. <laughs> maybe well, not. And that's a fair point. But there wasn't really anybody doing openly what I was doing or wanting to do. Now I have what we're faced with is other companies coming in behind us and doing what we're doing. I actually had a client. They used us for several months and asked a lot of questions and then peeled off and opened their own doggy daycare. So I think that's a huge compliment, but it's a little scary as a business owner. Like, is that going to steal my, is there going to be enough? Are we going to have, you know, all the questions that bubble around your head? So this morning when I was thinking about this topic, I kind of did some quick and loose math on the fact that there are five boarding facilities now that we can count. There's still other competition like pet sitters and in-home stuff and individuals and rover and wagon, those kinds of things. But there are five brick and mortar facilities plus some vet clinics. And if you add all of those up and you do like a heads and beds number, there's about, I'm going to loosely figure a thousand spaces for dogs to be when they can't be at home. And that doesn't even count cats. It's just dogs. That's what we do. And the population of Norman, Oklahoma is around 120,000 people. And if you look up the AVMA, American Veterinary Medicine Association's numbers on the percentage of dog owners in America is about 38%. And I feel like we can apply that number to our locally. We're pretty doggy here in Norman, Oklahoma. But 
that brings us to about 45,000 dogs in our community. Or 45,000 people who own dogs. Well, 45,000 people, and if you assume they each own one dog, and we know they own multiple dogs. So that's just a loose, fast number. But the heads and beds availability in our community only equals about 2% of the pet population. So as I've said before, numbers make me feel better. Those numbers make me feel like we have just scratched the surface of what's available customer-wise in this market. So kind of in a broad sense, when we look at competition, we kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier, is that there are really two ways that a business can kind of face the competition. Either they are the first entry to the market or an early entry to the market, like we were with doggy daycare. And so as new businesses come in behind us, we're constantly trying to pull that bar up, make sure that what we're doing is the best, that we're offering the best product and service that we can that we are adopting any new technology or strategies or services that can make our business stand out among the rest. But on on the other hand, you could be a later entry to the market and be pushing at that bar. And that's what we're doing with the coffee side of our business. Uh, you know, we were later entries to the market. We have a pretty flourishing coffee industry in Norman. We have a number of fairly well-established coffee shops. And what we were noticing is as we came on board and started doing things in our own unique, different, creative way, because we had never been in coffee before. So instead of just doing things the way things had always been done, we got to just look at things and do things totally different. And we started seeing established businesses that had never done in previous years some of the things that we started doing as soon as we opened those businesses started doing some of the same things that we were doing so as we were trying to push the bar they were trying to pull the bar and they were also looking at us and going oh yeah they're doing something different and unique so let's take that and put our own spin on it and try and see if we can leverage that as well so we're seeing that from both sides I feel that competition makes us all better so a monopoly there would be no reason to stress your business or change or be try to be nimble if you know that you have a lock on whatever it is you're doing. So having competition actually makes us better because it makes us constantly check. We uh, implemented systems to do quality control checks. Uh, we call our customers and ask them how things are going. We keep track of customers that we haven't seen in a while and kind of give them a call and say, hey, how are things going? Not to be stalkery, but to make sure that we are fixing anything that's made a customer leave. And we've, you know, improved our systems. You know, we've talked about this before. Kate came on board and helped us improve technological systems and internal systems to make our customer-facing systems actually a much better experience for our customers because we don't want to leave anything on the table, basically. And what I think Sarita is kind of circling around is regardless of whether you're the trailblazer or a little bit later to the party, you're eventually going to have to do things differently than you did at the beginning. And that being nimble and embracing change is critical to that. Everyone's going to face competition at some point. If you were the first one to have that brilliant new idea for your community, you're probably not going to be the last. <laughs> there are always going to be followers on, and maybe you are the follower on. And so, you know, then the person that you're emulating is going to have to do things different and try and refocus and make sure that they're doing things as well as they can be. So regardless of what side you're on, it's all about change and being nimble with it and embracing it. And paying attention. Yeah. And that's something that we've started doing a lot better, which is being forward looking and anticipatory of some of the trends either within your own market or just within consumer behavior 
And that was one of the things that's why I felt so strongly about a new kennel management software, because people generally are used to making reservations online now, whether it's for a concert or a play or a hotel room or an airline ticket. The majority of people do these things online. They don't call the airline and say, I want to fly from point A to point B on this day. What options do you have? They go online. And so putting that in place was a way that we could anticipate what our clients were getting used to in other industries. And frankly, I'm a little surprised that no one else has done that yet in our it was, market. It was a pretty easy fix. So if you other doggy daycares are listening, this is an easy fix. Do and it. that is fear of change. That is fear of change. And let me tell you, it's justifiable, that fear. That was a very, very difficult process. But the outcome and the future possibilities of it, I think, are fantastic. So I would do it again, maybe not exactly the same way, but... (laughs) We learned (laughs) But it removed a lot of barriers for people. Uh, I'll tell a story about when I first started Annie's, I didn't take credit cards. Part of it was because I didn't know how to take credit cards and I was afraid of what the systems look like. And part of it was the technology hadn't quite caught up to what I wanted to be able to do. So for like the first year, two years, I didn't take credit cards. It was expensive, I thought, to take credit cards and I was really worried and when I decided, made the decision to do it, I picked the worst system you could put the most expensive way to take credit cards ever. And I did it. And then we switched to the easier platforms, which are now available like Square that are a little cheaper for small businesses. But what I noticed was once I started taking credit cards, uh, we doubled our business pretty much overnight. It was yeah. I did not know that that was a, a barrier to entry for folks that us not taking credit cards, just doing cash and checks was was weird. Being kind of a first-time business owner, I don't know if other business owners, either in our industries or other industries and in, you know, that, that are in our area, do at least what I do, is I'm on social media. I am a member of many groups of business owners in my particular industry. So I'm a member of four or five different groups for doggy daycare owners. I'm also in a few groups for coffee shop owners. And what is incredible to me is how many people stress to the gills over credit cards on the coffee side, but not the doggy daycare side. On the coffee side, I mean, I wonder if it's a smaller volume, maybe maybe a smaller margin, but... There were a lot of people, especially with the recent change in Square's pricing structure that does have an impact on coffee shops. There were many people who said, well, maybe I'll just maybe I'll stop taking credit cards <laughs> or Not a good idea. Maybe I'll, I'll tack on an extra surcharge and try and dissuade people from using credit cards. And your story in particular is exactly why I think that that is the wrong track. Okay, so it might take a little a bit out of, of your profit margin. So maybe you increase your prices by 10 cents or 15 cents or mm-hmm. whatever the cost is that you're now trying to address. But all of these like nuclear options of, well, I'm just not going to take credit cards is not being responsive to or understanding the technological trends. I'm going to bet they don't have a big old spreadsheet either. I bet you they don't. (laughs) (laughs) They don't have those numbers to take away the fears. So, But I think this focus on change is really important because so many business failures, especially as a non-business person, when you hear about business failures, they largely stem from a resistance to and a failure to change. So Blockbuster, as an example... They put out a DVD by mail program at the same time that Netflix started and doing the same thing. But Blockbuster had a one up on Netflix, which was you could return your mailed DVDs to a Blockbuster store. Save yourself the four or five days turnaround to get a new DVD. 
It was great. I relied on that so heavily in college. I watched the entire series of The Sopranos by Blockbuster DVD by mail. So thank you, Blockbuster RIP. But (laughs) they then stopped that. Mm -hmm. They stopped allowing you to return your DVDs to a store and their prices were more expensive than Netflix and they didn't have the same selection. And eventually now, as everyone knows, they went out of business. The same thing with Polaroid. The time digital photography was coming out, they wanted to stick to what they knew, what they thought was an iconic, an iconic brand that would never go away. And now look, Mm -hmm. or, you know, Circuit City for, I don't know, just being Circuit City. So the large high profile business failures that almost everyone has heard of are largely a result from not recognizing your competition, not recognizing the changing landscape and refusing to take steps to actually make those changes. I think because that thought of change is also scary. Yes, it's very scary. And as you know, I had been kind of an island in the doggy daycare world. And as I saw these other businesses pop up, it was scary for me. And there's that kind of mean girl vibe where you just want to be mean. (laughs) You want to pick apart that they're not doing it right or things like that. But I had to calm myself down. And it was just me back then. So I'd get all jumpy about it. But I have a five bullet points of things that I did to kind of reset my moral compass and make sure I was doing what I what I wanted to be doing as a business owner. And one of them was be the best at what I do, like can just continually strive to be the best. Yeah, don't try to be the same as someone else. Don't try to be the same as someone else. Don't try to recreate what they're doing. Just be the best you you can be. Uh, be a valuable resource in the community. I plugged myself in. This was not as in an effort to thwart competition, but an effort to just do what I like to do. And plugging myself into local animal advocacy was how I did that. And and now I get calls from other doggy daycares occasionally wanting to know how to do X, Y, Z or what to do with this stray dog or, you know, things that I know how to do. And to that point, I think we touched on this in one of our first episodes is you can only be a successful business with the buy-in of your community. And the doggy daycare is a trust business. Absolutely. And and it's also a luxury item. Mm-hmm. So we really make an effort to be as responsive to community needs as possible, whether it's keeping kennel space open for, um, for domestic violence support or even just because our shelter is full or rescues need support. Uh, but we also do a lot of sponsorships of local sports teams. We had one of our high schools, they do they do an annual, almost year-round fundraising, and they've done their dog show at our facility for two years in a row now. And I don't see the other businesses in either of our industries doing those same things. You can't be an island within your own community. If you're not giving back and you don't have the buy-in of your community, I think your chances of success are a lot lower. And back to the domestic violence, the, one of the number one reasons why domestic violence victims do not leave their abuser is because their fear of retribution towards their pets. So Most shelters won't take the pet. And most shelters won't take the pet. So we open most women's shelters. I should specify. Women's shelters. Talking about animals. Yeah. So so a woman that is in a bad situation is faced with getting her kids and her animals out of the bad situation, or just herself and her animal. So we try to to remove that as a barrier. And this is not something we can talk about often. Like this is kind of or with any specifics. We can't say much specifics, but it is something we do in our community, and it's not an immediate reward, but it is known amongst some people and so eventually that's not why we do it but sometimes it'll pay off in that trust factor um the other thing is find your niche or niche and uh, be 
authentic about that. We happen to be very good with big, exuberant dogs. And getting them had, dirty. And getting them dirty. So we just made our T-shirts say, we get your clean dog dirty. And we set up that expectation. And if you do not want your clean dog to get dirty, then don't come to Annie's Rough House necessarily or pay the $10 for the bath, $15. Or you're welcome to go to a facility that has a much smaller yard and artificial turf. And, you know, it's a trade-off. Right. So we, we capitalize on what we do that's unique. We talk about it often. We make jokes about it. And we set up that expectation for our customer. We are helpful to other businesses other businesses either in our industry or outside of our industry. In both our coffee businesses and our doggy daycare, in our coffee business, we have a a baking company. We have several different bakers that we use that are local, and we are purposeful in that because we want to support those businesses. And then whenever I see a new doggy daycare come online, my practice has always been to call them and tell them if they need anything, that I'm happy to help them and uh, do things like ask them to tour their facility so that when I refer clients to them, if we are full and they aren't, I call them at Christmas and Thanksgiving when we have big, heavy boarding times, and I ask them if they're full. And if they're not, I send dogs to them. And so I don't want to overwhelm them with calls by just sending dogs to them. So I try to touch base with them. And that keeps kindness, even if they don't, they're always a little suspicious of me. I don't know why, but even if they're not overtly kind back, they at least feel that. And when I first got in the in the business, there was a, a local doggy daycare that wasn't necessarily in our market, but they reached out to me in that way and it felt good. So know your competition as well. This is my my fifth bullet point. Know your competition. Remind yourself what your niche is and don't try to be your competition. Be you. And on top of that, I would just say always be forward looking and anticipatory of changes, again, both in your industry and in consumer behavior generally. Again, we see that on both sides of our business. The one we are looking at and haven't really had an opportunity to try and incorporate it yet is on the coffee side is the convenience of pickup. And there's a reason mm-hmm. why mobile why mobile ordering has become so popular that people would take a slightly less scorching hot beverage to be able to order it in advance and then just walk in and grab it off the counter. And so that's something that we know is a changing consumer behavior, that that's something that consumers are moving ever closer towards. So trying to incorporate that as best we can, if we can, you know, we should at least, we should at least look at it. The technology is there and it's Mm -hmm. not going to be super expensive to get into that. And the same on the doggy daycare side is paying attention to the disruptors in your industry. So that's a good point. Rover and WAG and the crowdsourcing, is that what that? It's 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 like the Uber for dog walking. They're in our community. What we, more than it being a actual competition for what we're doing, we're not seeing any dip in our numbers from it or anything like that, but we are seeing our employees wanting to do these and what that puts kind of puts us in a weird position because if we have employees that use our name as kind of their thing that legitimizes them like oh I work for Annie's but then they're doing something off the clock for some other company and maybe they don't represent us well I mean our reputation is everything so we've actually launched an at-home service to answer that. So I had a lot of conflicting concerns about Wagon Rover once we had kind of launched our second location and I had a few minutes to kind of breathe and think about things. I was like, oh, this actually could be a a problem for a number of reasons. One, as Sarita mentioned, we have employees who are looking to do this on the side. And my concern, number one, 
for the employee is if they fall and break an ankle on someone's front porch, they are not protected under our workers comp. If that same thing happened at Annie's on shift, they would be covered and they would get their medical expenses taken care of which to me is really important. It's really Mm -hmm. important that if our employees are injured on the job, that they get taken care of. And is an employee, if it's a paying client who's paying them directly because it's not through Annie's, what are the chances that that employee is going to go and try and file a homeowner's insurance claim to try and get their broken ankle taken care of? Are they going to know how to do that? Is the homeowner going to fight it? Mm. On the flip side, if any of our clients decided they wanted to try Wagger Rover and some random person walked in their house and walked out with their dog and then, and then even just tripped and fell on the sidewalk and let go of the dog and then the dog runs and gets hit by a car, that would make me feel awful for our client and for that dog that we've gotten to know. And that client has no protection. That client doesn't know that whoever shows up at their door is trained in dog behavior or knows how a, how dogs might or might not interact appropriately with each other when they pass each other on leash or whether how to, if they even know how to, to check for any possible health concerns when they come to check on that dog when they're boarding that dog either at their own house or at the client's house. And we also have clients whose dogs have aged out of daycare or boarding at a facility. It's not that they don't want someone to be watching their dog while they're gone. It's just that, you know, an elderly dog being at a boarding facility is tough on them. And as a facility that's 10 years old means we have a lot of dogs that are getting to that point. So all of those concerns and fears and anxieties all kind of rolled into what's to say that we can't start a service like that. Yeah. Extend protections. Yeah. So we have Annie's at home now. And what we're able to offer is vetting of the client for the employee and vetting of the employee and training the employee properly for the client. And there's a, somebody local that you can come yell at if you have mm-hmm. a problem. So we kind of did a beta test and, and we're ready to roll it out for the holidays. But it's a low cost for us. We've set it up in such a way that it actually, our employees can make more money doing that because you know, we're not having to pay for overhead necessarily. It's We already have all the infrastructure in place. We already have the training protocol. So all they have to do is do that part of the job and we're willing to pay them a lot more to do that. So then that solves a lot of the problems that we're having is like losing control of our employees that are going out into the market to do pet sitting on their own. I also just see this as a community-wide program. Wagon Rover have certainly something to offer, but to me, the drawbacks make it a really scary chance to take for whoever the contractor is who's going to handle all of these dogs. There's no guarantee of vaccinations. There's no guarantee of positive behavior. So that's the vetting yeah. of the client. There's no protection for the client that the employee is trained or is is bonded and insured. So not just falling and breaking an ankle on the front porch, but if the client is stolen from, they have no recourse through Wagger Rover. Mm-hmm. And so I really see this as a community benefit as well. I just want the dogs in Norman to have a great opportunity for care. And I know that we see it whenever the dogs age out of our program at the brick and mortar that we're sad. We don't want them to go. We, we know become very attached to them. Yeah. So it's nice to have another option or if they're medically not able to be at our facility, then we have an option to still service that client. You know, we're taking care of nonverbal loved ones. So we, we get really close with the families and that's important in our industry. So to end, can I actually tell a story about, Mm -hmm. about this? So the other day I was on my way home from work and I came around the corner into my neighborhood and literally almost ran over or into two dogs that were running full tilt at me 
towards a high speed road at the end of my neighborhood. And my brain kind of fritzed a couple times. It was like, you know, these dogs, where do you know these dogs? (laughs) They were client dogs. Oh gosh. And I, I almost said their names, but I'm not going to do that. But Sarita knows them very well. And so I immediately pull into the nearest driveway, grab a slip lead because I always have a slip lead in my car and yell their names. And they turn and look at me and then they look at each other and then they take off running again. Like, oh, shoot, we got caught. And so literally for about 45 minutes, I'm running and chasing these dogs down, calling the cardio day, (laughs) calling surprise cardio day. And so calling, you know, the manager of our business and saying, you need to call the owner, call the owner right now. Their dogs are out. Their dogs are out. And she's going, what? No, they're not here. They didn't come to daycare today. I'm at that (laughs) building. And I was like, no, no, at their house, at their house, call them. So she calls the owner, leaves a message. I'm like chasing these dogs through the neighborhood. One of them comes up limping. And so I'm actually able to get him. We walk around trying to find his sister and eventually go to their house. Cause I figure maybe she went there and it turns out the teenage son was the one who was watching the dogs. Whoopsie. And he was like, it's like he didn't know what to do when I told him that I had one of the dogs, but not the other. And he was like, oh, well, I think I think one of my friends got her at, at the house nearby, nearby. And so then I called the owner and said, hi, I'm hoping that this is the first message that you hear from me, <laughs> which is that your dogs are safe. They're home. You might want to go and get the older one's leg checked out. I know he's had issues with it in the past. I'm sure he just strained it. And she was so thankful that she was like, I don't, she was like, I just don't understand how you recognize them like outside of, outside of Annie's. And I said, well, they're clients. Like I I know, like I love them. (laughs) Like they're very, and we even had one, we were going to be sending one of our other employees who the female dog gets along with the best because our employees thought, well, they'll come to Abby. They love Abby. They'll come to Abby. And so they were all, it was like an all hands on deck effort. It was like every employee was ready to grab a slip lead and, you know, drive out to East Norman to go and find these dogs. Cause that was a high speed road. And one of them almost got hit. And so it was just a really great feeling to know that we were able to recognize those dogs. And it's because of how much hands on time we spend with them Mm -hmm. and be able to get them back home for the owner also because we had a kennel management software that allowed me to log in from my phone Remotely. and know their address. <laughs> so <laughs> yay! So yay as, a, as a business owner, like I consider that a win. Those dogs did not escape our facility. They no. uh, were identified by me and I'm not, you know, I probably don't spend nearly as much time with those dogs as some of the employees did. We were able to get them home and assess that there was no significant or immediate danger to that leg and then give the owner some peace of mind that that her dogs were home safe. As she got off a plane and got a whole bunch of messages, panic messages from her son and the manager and then me. <laughs> the whole community has come out yes. to help these yes. two dogs, which I think is cool. That's one of my favorite parts of our business. Yeah. And I've had dogs bring themselves to doggy daycare <laughs> before. That's happened a few times. You know, talk about a testament to the <laughs> quality of like, the job we do. I think that's Moby poking his head in the door. Yeah. Where's your mom, Moby? <laughs> Ten minutes later, mom comes up. She's like, I was running on the trail and Moby got wind of you guys and had to come here. So <laughs> I guess continue to find us on Roar and Peace Project and we'll wrap it up with that. Yeah, we will see you next week. We're probably going to talk about the amazing meeting that we had with our accountant. Our accountant. Uh, super excited about. There were high fives in the accountant's office. There were. And that probably doesn't happen very often. <laughs> Feeling like that was a win. And uh, so we will talk to you guys next week. <laughs>